Uh, do you want to find uh, in the green Bibles, uh, dotted around the place, I think, um, page 1113. Uh, if you're on your phone or tablet or something else, uh, we're in Paul's letter to the Philippians. So, sort of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. If you're in Colossians, you've gone too far. <clears throat> Just while you're finding that, um, conscious that this week, Wednesday, uh, Ash Wednesday, the start of Lent, and chiming in with um, Laura's word earlier, uh, these next few weeks, we want to be intentional, we want to take part, we want to be participants in the life of God, not just spectators, participants. And uh, I kind of want to tee that up today, and then um, I'll say a little bit more about what the next few Sundays are going to look like in terms of the teaching here at St. D's. But I'm in this letter to the Philippians. It's kind of a good letter. Paul is, is quite, he, he likes this church, Philippi. Um, and he's, um, he's just encouraging them to press in for more. And so I'm going to read two little sections. Um, the, his introductory words from verse 3 of chapter 1. Uh, just that paragraph there. And then just over the page, another paragraph in chapter 2. So two chunks that inform the title of my talk this evening. So Philippians 1 verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the, the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Just over the page. Chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ, chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident, uh, and then continue, verse 12, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Working out what God is working in. Working out what God is working in. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this season in the church calendar and uh, recognized by the wider world, the season of Lent, we want to pay attention to our lives in respect of you and what you're doing in us. We want to co-operate with you, to co-work with you, to work out what you are working in so that we don't stay the same, that we are indeed transformed prayed and talked just earlier, and that our lives contribute, participate, make a difference in our world. Father, we want to be part of this church here that grows mission-minded disciples who will live for Jesus wherever we find. 
to feed us, challenge us, shape us this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 The Bible calls us to conform. We're basically conformists. We were created to conform. And the question is not, will we conform to something or someone? It's just, just to whom or to what? Will we look to shape our lives? The author uh, and sort of parenting authority, James Dobson, d- tells of, a, of a, uh, an experiment that was carried out with a whole load of adolescents, 11 to 14-year-olds, in order to uh, highlight the power of peer pressure. And the experiment was relatively straightforward. With a whole room of these young teenagers, uh, someone stood at the front and held up three lines, a short line, a medium-sized line, and a long line. And they were asked simply to vote whenever the long line was held up. Just raise your hand whenever the long line is held up. So in random order, short line, medium line. But whenever you see the long line, raise a hand. Except that one individual was told that he had to raise everyone. Was, he, he, he was told that the instruction was to raise your hand when it was the medium line. So they, the experiment takes place. And uh, so they're holding up all the lines. And the long line gets held up. And everyone raises their hand, apart from this guy. He looks around, thinks, he knows that's, that's the long line. That's not the medium line. But in 75% of the cases, the individual knowing that that was the wrong answer, still put his hand up and went with the crowd. In over 75% of the cases, they did it time and time again. The power of peer pressure, the power of conforming. Paul wrote to uh, another letter to the church in Rome. He said, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. There's something in us, created in us, to to adhere, to shape, to conform to something or someone. But Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't conform to peer pressure, especially when you know it's kind of dodgy, flaky, wrong. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Or, as he says here to the Philippians, be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion to the day of Christ. The work that God is doing in each and every one of us, he will carry it on. Paul says, be confident of this, that he will carry it on until there is the completed you, the perfect you, the fulfilled you, the satisfied you, the beautiful you. Conform to that image. Being confident that God is the one working at it. So I want to suggest that Lent is a time, uh, kind of, you, you may think, oh yeah, Lent, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to give something up. Okay. Maybe. But Lent, I want to suggest it's a, it's a season, 40 days. The psychologists say that's, that's around about the time it takes to either break or to form a habit. Around about 40 days. 
is a time when we, we look to discipline ourselves, to take on a discipline, to, to train ourselves, to be, if I can use this metaphor, a thermostat rather than a thermometer. Thermometers, useful instruments. Stick them on a wall, and they basically record the current temperature. And they'll go up and down with whatever, with the ups and downs, the, the variation in temperature. They will simply record what is and go with the flow. If it's hot, the, the, the thermometer will say it's hot. If it's cold, the thermometer will say it's cold. But as Christians, we're called to be thermostats that set the temperature and regulate it. So we don't just go with the tone or the culture. We recognize it, but we look to set the tone or the culture wherever we may find ourselves. Now, to do that, we'll need BIM. It's an acronym. Where's my sheet? Here we go. So these leaflets here, gave them out the weekend away. There's loads on the table right at the back underneath the clock. Uh, we've called them small group accountability. It's these living with VIN. Vision, intention, means. And these we offer simply as a tool to help us, maybe yourself or in twos or threes, through Lent as we train ourselves to grow more confident in working out what God is working in. Vision, intention, means we'll need, if Lent is to be effective, if our disciplines, our training are to be effective, we'll need vision. We'll need to have an image or a picture, an idea of what it is that we're wanting to become. And, and also some sense of where we currently are. So where am I now? And where do I want to be? Can I, can I borrow the image by the way, just on the accountability groups, uh, and just to finish off with that Dobson thing, because uh, they carried out the, the, the experiment with the peer pressure, he carried out another set of experiments. And this time, two people uh, were sort of excluded from everyone else. So two people were told to vote for the middle line, not the long line. And the percentage of people who voted for what they knew was right, uh, or no, sorry, the percentage of people who didn't vote with the crowd dropped from over 75% to 25%. In other words, in 75% of the cases, if there was one other person who'd vote with me, I'll put my hand up. If there's one other person who will go against the prevailing current, one other person who will go against everyone else, I'll go for what I know is right. I'll put my hand up. That's why, you know, you try and live the Christian life on your own, yeah, it's tough. Or let's put it like this, a whole lot easier if I've got a buddy with me, or two or three. That's why we, we recommend these small groups looking to live with vision, intention, and means. And what I want to do during Lent is to, to speak about the four Gs, Pat and I. The four Gs, not, in, not necessarily in this order, I'm not going to tell you what order we'll tackle them in, um, but the four Gs are gold, girls or guys, glory, and grog which is a kind of, which is trying to make the 4Gs work. That's alcohol. <laughs> but the cultural norm is uh, the gold, wealth, materialism, stuff. 
The glory is uh, ambition, name, status, image. Guys, girls, sex, that's fairly obvious. And the grog, I guess, also fairly obvious, although we want to get behind these things. Why is there a drinking culture? What is behind so much of the sexual appetite? What's behind, what's driving the ambition to earn more or to get more or to accumulate more? So we, we hold up these kind of cultural idols and say, is there a way in which we can be a thermostat in our place of work and amongst our peer group and at the bar uh, or when we're relaxing rather than a thermometer just going up and down with the flow? We need a vision. Let me borrow um, a metaphor from the gym about just getting fit. I guess most of us will be familiar in one way, shape, or form with trying to keep fit, keep in shape. And I'm guessing you've got some kind of a vision. When you, when you go to the gym, when you, even when you join the gym, why, why would you lay down all that money? Maybe you have an induction class. Why would you go through all that unless you had some idea of what you want to get out of it? You, you know that oh, I'm probably going to avoid the free weights. I'll, I'll go to the ergo things, or I'll go to those uh, uh, gym class, or I'll do some. There's so many things on offer, and you'll go to one and not the other because you've got an image, a vision, an idea of how you want your body to look, to feel, what you want to become. And um, no doubt, I mean, have you noticed in the gyms? Well, certainly, the gym I'm a member of, Virgin Active, just up the road. What I've noticed is that the gym instructors. They don't, they're not, on the whole, they're not, they're not kind of portly. You know, sort of shamble around with a sort of, they, and they, I've noticed also that their t-shirts that they wear are just one or two sizes too small, if, if I'm totally honest, for that body there, which means I can see all the defined six-packs sticking out, making me feel inadequate, my baggy shirt. But they're providing a vision. Hey, buddy, work out like me and you can look like me, huh? It's the kind of thing. And there's images on those mirrors everywhere. See how you look now, and then you want to look like him or her. Vision. Vision. Here's the thing. I'm not going to ask you how long you've spent thinking about what your body should look like. But I'm going to ask you just to turn in twos and threes to discuss just for two or three minutes what a beautiful soul Soul is kind of a Bible word for the things inside that make you you, your mind and the way in which you think, your personality, your, your heart and your emotions, your will. It'll be slightly and subtly different for each and every one of us. What is a beautiful you in terms of your soul? Not your body, the outer bit that we can see, but the inner bit that we can't see so easily, that isn't so obvious. What does a beautiful you on the inside look like? Such that if you were to work out on your soul, you would pre- you, you, you present a beautiful what? Can you put into words what a beautiful soul, a beautiful inner you looks like? What are you training for during Lent? Two or three minutes, twos or threes, discuss.
Okay. Well, now maybe we can continue those conversations uh, the back of church after the service. We can head over to the pub. We can develop those in the next few days and weeks. Uh, this last summer, Joe and I had the privilege of going to um, Florence, one of my favorite cities in Italy. We went to the, uh, um, the Galleria dell'Accademia, where uh, you can see in a, in a little room set apart all by itself the statue of Michelangelo's David. Uh, it's an awesome piece of work. It, it stands on a plinth about sort of six foot high, so his feet are about here, and then towers up. I think it's sort of four meters tall or something. It's huge statue of the uh, shepherd boy David just before he's about to slay Goliath. It's a stunning piece of work. It's mesmerizing. Joe and I were there for about an hour, just, just wandering around, just gazing at it. And the story goes that Michelangelo was asked, you know, how do you create a statue, a, a work of art, a wonder like that, from, a, from a, just a massive block of marble? And it said that Michelangelo simply answered this. He said, I spent days and days and days walking around the block of marble and walking around the block of marble, just looking at it. But I wasn't looking at it. I was looking in it. Until all I could see was David. And then once I could see David, I simply chipped away all the bits of marble that weren't David, until all that was left was the work of art. Living with Vim, working out what God has worked in will be a whole lot easier if we have a real clear image of what it is we're looking to become. Because when we can see that and visualize it, when we can stand with others who, who will pray with us and support us and encourage us in that, then it becomes a whole lot easier to chip away the things that don't belong to the person that I want to become. Living with vision. Secondly, living with intention. This is where the, the idea of the disciplines come in. J- can I just slay a myth? May, I don't know whether it's a myth with you or not. But often, particularly when we were um, going through school and stuff, uh, maybe we, these two words, discipline and punishment, slid in together. We sort of, maybe you'd heard you saying, oh, he's being disciplined or she's being disciplined. Really, they mean he's being punished. But d- discipline is, is, a, is a very positive thing. It's something that we volunteer, we take on. We take on a discipline in order to, to work at something, to improve something, to strengthen something. We, we've mentioned the rugby today. Those rugby players, they don't, they don't go into that game without disciplining themselves through fitness and drills, endlessly. Teamwork, so that 15 individuals become one unit with the vision of overcoming the opposition and winning the game. And so in Lent, I'd encourage you to think about disciplines that will enable you to work out what God has worked in, to become the person that God has called you and is working in you to be. There's a long, we could spend, in fact, let me just recommend a couple of books just while I'm on this. Um, 
quick, easy book to read, Vaughan Roberts' Distinctives, Daring to be Different in, a, in an Indifferent World. Great book, very easy read. Uh, and this one, Spiritual Fitness, Graham Tomlin, our very own Bishop of Kensington. Spiritual Fitness, Christian Character in a Consumer Culture. In that one in particular, um, he has two or three chapters that go into the sort of history of spiritual disciplines, if you're interested. Um, and it's quite interesting, it's just that, for centuries... Christians, the, whether it's the monastics, the monks, the desert fathers, um, or just the divines through the ages, have they've kind of categorized spiritual disciplines into two types. Things that you take on and things that you give up. Typically, they're referred to as uh, disciplines of engagement, things you take on, you engage with, and abstinence, things from which you withdraw. Disciplines of engagement might, for example, involve study, or prayer, or worship. So for us, that might mean that, okay, this Lent, I'm going to take this book and read it carefully. As it were, study it. Let it shape me, inform me. I'm going to set the alarm for five minutes earlier in the morning. And that five minutes, I'm going to spend just silently thinking about God. Have a pad of paper, pen, or phone, or something, so that when, when not if, because it will do, when a thought comes to distract me, I can just jot it down. Got to ring so-and-so, got to do that thing, got to pick up this. Jot it down so I can come back to think about God. You do that for five minutes over 40 days, it will change you. Worship. The culture around us encourages us to worship ourselves. It's all about us. I'm going to spend some time, just set aside some time every single day to worship God and to think about how I can serve others. To live for a vision greater than myself, which is what I was created for. It's what God is working in us. And we work with him. So those are disciplines of engagement or disciplines of abstinence. I know of someone who's uh, going to give up social media. Someone else is thinking of giving up watching television. It may be just withdrawing from the myriad of distractions that we all know in our world. It's just to kind of wash off some of the stuff that cloys and clings and slows us down. So that I, I buy back time. I buy back focus. I find myself becoming a little bit more intentional again. Rather than just dithered and distracted. Abstinence as a discipline to help us to work out what God is working in. And overall, the vision is, again, it's not like, let's go back to the gym metaphor. I recently, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lively, I've been trying to get fit uh, because I went on a climbing holiday last week. I wanted to be fit for it. So I went to the gym and I did loads of lunges and loads of squats. But I didn't do loads of lunges and loads of squats so that I could be good at doing lunges and squats. I did lunges and squats so that I could be fit enough to climb. I wanted to get up a thousand meter plus mountain and not be dead at the top of it. Or, you know, out of breath. <laughs> I didn't want to be dead either, but... I wanted, I wanted to enjoy it. I want to be fit, generally, not just so that, I, not so that I'm able to do lunges and squats. I want to be able to run for a bus and not be out of breath, to climb a flight of stairs and still be able to have a conversation with you. I want to be fit enough 
that one day, God willing, I can pick up my grandkids and hug them. I've got, a, I've got a vision. I've got a picture of what I want to become. And that's why I put in the work, the discipline now. So vision and intention. And here's the final thing that I finish with. It, it's kind of, I guess it's the means here. It's how does this work? How do I keep going at the discipline? How do I keep going at this word that Paul uses, the work? Continue to work out your salvation, the process of becoming more like God. It is work, and sometimes it's hard work. And in a leisure-filled culture, it'll militate against us working. So what sustains me? What sustains you in this? And it's this little, it's encapsulated in verse 6 here. Being confident of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's referring to the future when Jesus will return. We say it in our creeds. Jesus will return when heaven visits and inhabits earth. And when all God's best intentions right back at creation are fully restored and realized. Beauty, perfection, glory, joy, deep peace, wonderful satisfaction. We'll still work because God has made us able, but our work will be satisfying, fulfilling, productive. It will bless others. It will be so good to live then the perfect life in the perfect body, with the perfect mind, fully complete. Do you know what? We don't spend nearly enough time thinking about where we're heading. The enemy, our, the devil, he just loves to distract us in the here and now. You need this now. You need that now. Do this now. Do this now. Do, do, do. Heads down. And we just don't look up to where we're heading. completion. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. So how do the disciplines work now? They work in the context of the future. And here's where I want to get just really just sort of basic and honest, if I may. And, and I, I hope you'll go with me in this. I've been thinking about this. Let's start with the fitness, but we could apply it to most things. When I actually break down life, when I break down, let's say, going to the gym, I don't enjoy it, if I'm honest. If I break it right down, I've, I was kind of warm and comfy in my clothes. I've got, to, I've got to get changed. That's a faff. I've got to find the padlock for the locker. I've got to get in this new kit. And then, you know, when you start on the treadmill or the cycle or whatever, and you always feel a bit sort of, you know, until you kind of get to that stage, I don't know what it is, where you sort of get to the stage, you get a sort of second wind, and then it's a bit better. But then you start to sweat. I don't really like sweating. Do you like sweating? I don't really like sweating. It's a bit sort of yucky and unpleasant. I don't really like muscle burn. Have you done an exercise, a squat, squat, and I can feel the burn in my legs. I, I, if I'm honest, that's not a very pleasant feeling. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I'd love my muscles to burn today. I don't like being out of breath. I, in fact, when I think about the gym and I break it down, 
I don't like any of it. So why do I do it? Well, God in his graciousness, he's, he's kind of given us, um, what are they called? Endorphins. So there's a short-term thing. About two or, three hours, two or three hours later, when you just feel quite good for whatever it was you've done. But there's the longer-term thing. I, if I'm honest, I've just come back from this. Forgive the sort of self-indulgent reference here, but I've just come back from a week climbing, which I love. And one of the reasons why I loved it was because I put myself through a fitness regime to be fit enough to enjoy it. It was the end result. What I did was I borrowed from the future to sustain the present. Because I want to enjoy that holiday, I'll take the enjoyment of that holiday and I will, I will live in it now. I will be confident that me beginning this work in the gym will work its way through to completion. It's a pathetic example, but do you get where I, where I am? Let, let me take another study. I, I'm guessing that a number of us, uh, some say we've studied. I, I used to enjoy reading up a topic and reading books and so on. And I get to a stage when I got notes here and notes there and bits and scribbles and all this kind of thing. And there came that moment when you had to form it into an essay. And I hated that. People say, well, did you enjoy your course? Oh, yeah, I love my course. No, I didn't. I, qu I quite like the reading bit, although, again, that was sort of sometimes they were quite dull books or quite dense books, so that sometimes wasn't that enjoyable. And you have to write stuff down. Was, but what I really didn't enjoy was trying to amass all these thoughts and put them into some kind of cogent form, which was an essay. I, I didn't enjoy that, if I, if I think about it. People say, are you enjoying your course? Oh, yeah, I love my course. No, I don't like that. Why did I do it? Because I wanted to stretch my mind. I had a goal. I want to, I want to have a, a view on these things in my theological training. I, I want to be able to do this with some kind of integrity. So I want to think through things. And if I'm going to get to that goal, I've got to put myself through the pain. So what was I doing? I was taking from the future and living it in the present. If I'm honest... You asked me, you asked me after, did you enjoy your climbing trip? I loved it, I loved it, absolutely amazing. Did I? I was, an, I was a thousand meters up a mountain in snow. My feet were wet and cold, my hands were freezing. Because we walked up, the sweat on my back was condensed against my, it was beginning to sort of freeze on my back against the rucksack. I was cold at times, I was shivering. Was I enjoying that? Do I, do I wake up thinking, oh, I really hope to be shivering cold today? No. But there's a greater good. Do I love being on the mountains? Do I love climbing a route? Do I love getting to the top? Do I love coming back again and going, yes. Yeah, and that surpasses whatever I'm going through. So I'll discipline myself to go through the pain in order to get the glory. Thanks, Jim. No pain, no gain, they say. No guts, no glory. We, we go through the discipline with with the future in mind, being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it through to completion. He has the perfect image of you in his mind. He had it in his mind right back before creation. He's, he's got the perfect image and vision of you right now. And he's working with you and longing for you to work with him. Work it out together. To spend time this length doing whatever it takes to have a vision of who God is calling you to become.
the kind of person you want to be, and then work at it. Take on things or give up things in order that that vision can be realized. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ. So continue to work out your salvation, Paul writes, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to, to, in order to fulfill his good purpose.